Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk a number of different things. I put out a feeler towards the network uh, as to if they had any questions or topics that they wanted to discuss today. And uh, I only sent it out, you know, 15 minutes before the show began, so I haven't seen any responses yet. But uh, the reality is that if you join the network, which is just an email network, you can get, uh, and you, you join based on geographical location. So you, you go to our pages at hisholychurch.org or preparingyou.com and you look for the network links and you join the network in your area. And it's geographically based. If, you know, if you join these groups that have thousands of people in them, and it's just, you know, 2,000 people in the network, uh, in, in the whole email group. You can get all kinds of people that become predominant in that group. They start debating back and forth, and you can get swamped with emails. And and somebody is just usually starts taking over the uh, situation uh, on that particular email group. And uh, so what we did is we divided everything up according to geography. So you join a group in your area. And the purpose of the group, we we also define that, is so that you can link up with other people in your area that are also seeking the kingdom of God and looking for the keys of the kingdom of God. I mean, if Christ is the door, what is the keys? What unlocks the door? What opens the door to us? What gives us access to the kingdom of God, which is at hand and for the living? So that's what the keys of the kingdom are all about. And so one of those is that you have to not forsake the gathering together. So you connect with other people. I mean, you can connect with people on Facebook, but that in itself is not necessarily the total answer of what the kingdom is all about, what they say on Facebook. And, uh, so, uh, we, uh, we've, we created this network based in geography so that you could actually form what we call the living network, which is congregations of people, free assemblies. We define free assemblies. And those free assemblies gather together, uh, trying to do that which Christ said to do. Because Christ said, it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, that's not those who say they believe in Jesus, but those who actually do the will of the Father. And so the will of the Father is described in principle throughout the Old Testament, even the New Testament. A lot of people look at the Old Testament and they they think that people were, you know, piling up rocks and burning up sheep and circumcising babies. And this was what was going to make God happy. And not eating uh, pork and uh, and uh, all kinds of rituals, you know, 600, 700 different little rules that you're supposed to follow. And they can certainly follow all those rules if they want. 
But they need to understand if you don't follow the spirit of those rules, then you're not really following the rules. Because the rules were helping you to see and to develop that relationship with God. Way back in the Old Testament, they talk about writing his laws upon your heart and your mind. Circumcision of the heart. Uh, committing to this idea of Christ uh, of the, the anointing of God in your heart and in your mind. That's what Christ means, is anointing. And you want to be anointed by the Spirit of God in your heart and in your mind so that you are compelled to follow the ways of God. And that's what Christianity was called, the way. It was a different way than what most people were doing and certainly it was different than what the Pharisees were doing, yet the Pharisees thought they were following Moses, but they did not even know Moses because they had turned Moses into this. They had unmoored the spirit of Moses from the rules and just applied the rules and regulations and, and authoritarian type religion that exercised power one over the other. And this telegraphed through their social interaction into the state, where now they were going to rule over one another, usually by electing some sort of king or ruler or president or prime minister, and they would rule over their neighbor and force their neighbor to comply with what they thought was right. And so they would decide good and evil for their neighbor and force their neighbor to comply with that uh, collective decision through some sort of government agency. That's what Cain did. That's what Nimrod did. That's what Pharaoh would eventually do. That's what Caesar did. That is not what Jesus Christ did. Jesus was doing something completely different. Something uh, that he called the kingdom of God. Or Matthew would sometimes refer to as the kingdom of heaven. Which was at hand. Within your reach. And so what was that? Uh, supposedly, a lot of people think that Jesus came to start the church and that you all want to belong to the church of Jesus Christ or the church of the Latter-day Saints or the the Assembly of God or or the Lutheran Church. And we're all supposed to join the church. And become. somebody was telling me just the other day that they were attending a church uh, that was local in their area. It was nearby. so they And they wanted to go to some church. So they went to that church. And um, they had only gone a couple of weeks. And uh, right away they were told that they couldn't keep coming. If they didn't sign up for the tithing rolls. Where you were going to be sending in a share of whatever you made every week to the church. So that they could do what? So that they could have a building. And pay the pastor. And... Keep the sound system going, I guess. I don't know what. But they certainly were not doing what the first century church was doing. As a matter of fact, they were doing what the Pharisees were doing in the first century and, and uh, before. And uh, But they don't see that because they have unmoored the spirit from the form. Or unmoored the form from the spirit. However you want to look at it. They followed not the spirit but the form. And so they they don't even know what Christianity is anymore. In most churches. But yet you when you read the words you know there's something there. Something important. 
you know, you read about Christ, his sacrifice, uh, his his parables, his his sermons, which are very short. There's almost no sermons. And the only thing that they refer to as a sermon, really, is the Sermon on the Mount. And it appears from the text that the Sermon on the Mount was not to all the people, but it was only to his disciples. He went up from all the people, went up the hill from all the people, and gathered his disciples and spoke to his disciples. I mean, they didn't have the sound system you got. So they're not talking to somebody way down the bottom of the hill. And they're talking, it sat, actually says he sat and talked to his disciples. And he gave them this sermon, these instructions on the mount. And so what the apostles did, you know, at Pentecost and after Pentecost, would tell you what your church should be doing. Because that's what, they got specific and direct instructions from Jesus Christ. They they even asked Jesus, why you always talk to them in parables? And Jesus says, it's because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but not unto them. And so the the word mystery there, the secrets, the inside information, whatever you want to look at. And that was for the apostles, and they needed to know that because they were going to be assigned a task, a job, a position. They were going to be appointed the kingdom of God. That's what it says. My good pleasure to appoint unto you the kingdom. How could he appoint unto them the kingdom? He already said that the Pharisees were sitting in the seat of Moses, and now he's going to put... The apostles in the seat of Moses. And he could do that because he was both priest and high, you know, high priest and king. So he was, and of course he said that he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees. said that, told them that early on. said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to appoint it to this other group. Later on when talking to that other group, he says it would be his pleasure to appoint them to his little flock, the kingdom. And then later we see him, and I appoint unto you the kingdom. Present tense, right there, the kingdom at hand. He's appointing to these disciples. And But he, then he instructs them, but you're not to be like the princes of the other kingdoms, you know, the Gentiles and the other nations. You're a government. But you're not like those other governments. So what was the difference between the government of Jesus Christ, which he called, he, he called these men out, said they were not to be a part of the world, using a word that meant constitutional order or system of government. That's what he used. He didn't use the word that meant planet. He meant, he used the word that meant constitutional order or system of government. That's, that's right in the concordance. You can look the word up. And, uh, of course, we have lots of articles uh, on the word that show the use of the word at that time. And he's saying you're not to be like the princes of those governments. And what was the distinctive difference between the government of God, a government of God, a government appointed by Jesus Christ, and the governments of the world? the constitutional orders and systems of governments of the world. What is the distinctive difference? Now, you really need to know that if you're going to say you're pursuing what Christ said to do. 
Because he's making this distinction. That if you're going this way, you're following him. If you're going that way, you're not following him. And so you say you're a follower of Christ, but you're going that way. This other way. And what way is that? What is that distinctive difference? And it really should be just everybody knows it right away. And many of the people that have listened to us for a while know it because we keep bringing it up. But most people going to church don't know what the distinction between the governments of the world, the governments of the Gentiles, the governments of other nations, and the government appointed by Jesus Christ. Even saying the word government is almost uh, misleading and confusing to people. Because when I say the word government, you think of somebody who can exercise authority one over the other. You think that's what a government is. A government is a body or individual who can exercise authority over others. That's what people think government means. But that's not what government means. It's certainly not the kingdom of God because that's the distinction right there. You are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. So that's the distinction between the government of God and the government of other nations or other peoples or other constitutional orders or systems of government. Is that the kingdom of God the ones you choose to be your leaders are chosen not to exercise authority, but to serve. And, of course, that's what we know. Christ said that he is one who came to serve. So, obviously, he's not going to appoint men who are not going to serve. He's not going to appoint men who exercise authority and sit on golden thrones and and impose doctrines on everybody else. There's only one author of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And that is Jesus Christ. And we have the biblical text to compare to what people are saying is the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And if it does not fit, <laughs> you should quit. So you listen to your pastor if what he says does not fit, you should quit. So that's our new motto. If it does, <laughs> but actually, if, if it does not fit and you continue to seek the kingdom of God, you won't have to quit. They'll kick you out. They'll, they'll, they'll shun you. They'll, they'll excommunicate you. They'll ask you to leave because you're, you're causing division. Not division from Christ, but division from your pastor. And your pastor doesn't want you to divide because he wants you to give those tithings. And those tithings aren't just financial tithings. They're emotional and mental tithings. He wants you to look up to him. He wants you to trust him. He wants to believe that he is saving you. I can tell you right now, I can't save you. Joining the network is not going to save you. Uh, it's it's not even going to change you. You may find it easier to change. You may find it helpful. And of course, that's why God says through the biblical text, don't forsake the gathering together. 
and why he talks about free assemblies and coming together and loving one another and helping one another and all these things. You know, I think about all the monks who are out there and they're in some sort of monastery and they pray all day and they somehow think that's serving God. Well, that's not serving God. That's just being recluse. Uh, you, you shouldn't be that way. I mean, there may be periods of time where you separate yourself out from the rest of the world. Uh, you know, contemplative periods of time, growth periods of time, study periods of time, reflective periods of time. But you're supposed to be a doer. Christ would go off, you know, separate from the apostles and pray, but he'd come back and actually provide real services amongst the people. You know, really wash their feet. Not just, you know, token service, but real service. And that's what people don't realize is that the first century church took care of all the social welfare of anybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ. Because they were kicked out of the social welfare system, run by the government of the Pharisees. They were kicked out of that system and were forced to take care of themselves by circumstances. You know, if they had blind people amongst them, if they had sick people amongst them, if they had injured people people amongst them, they had to come together and take care of those people through faith, hope, and charity. I mean, they could have sent them to the government. The government at that time had welfare systems, had free bread, but we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to pray for our daily bread by praying, Our Father who art in heaven. Separate be thy name. Holy be thy name. Thy kingdom comes when we say we believe in you. No. Thy kingdom comes when thy will be done. It's right there in the text. People are going around telling you all you have to do is believe. They even tell people that, oh yeah, you can still commit crimes and kill people and rape people and murder people. But you're saved because you said you believe. No, you're a liar. You're not saved. You're fooling yourself. You're lying to me and you're lying to yourself. If you're doing these things, murdering, killing, and raping, robbing, stealing, lying, cheating, coveting your neighbor's goods, any of these things, if you're a backbiter, if you're dividing the people, especially through your own vanity, then you're you're separated out. We're to have nothing to do with you and you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's what Paul says. You want to take Paul out of context of Paul. You shouldn't even take Paul out of the context of Christ. If Christ said you had to be a doer, then you have to be a doer. Paul preached Christ first. He preached you had to be a doer first. What he's talking about and about when he talks about earning salvation by your actions, where now God owes you salvation, that no, he's right. There's nothing you can do where God owes you salvation. It's still a gift. But if you're not keeping the commandments, if you're out there coveting your neighbor's goods, you're probably not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're not saved. And the reality is now a lot of people say, well, then he's saying that only Christians can be saved. Well, what's a Christian? It's someone who says, I'm a Christian, 
Christians didn't say they were Christians at first. They never said they were Christians until Antioch. Then they were called Christians. But they that what they call themselves isn't what saves them. What they say isn't what saves them. It's what they do that makes them eligible for the grace of God, the salvation of God. Because it's still by grace. It's never owed. You cannot do enough to make God owe you salvation. But if you're if you're violating the Ten Commandments, then you that's evidence to you that you don't really love God. See, the Pharisees thought they loved Moses. They thought they loved God. But they actually were doing contrary to what God said to do. And they didn't even know that. And one of the ways you get people not to know that is you create all these other things you have to do. Like you have to go to the Lutheran church. You have to go to this synod. You have to get... You know, be a part of this church. You have to speak in tongues. You have to, you have to do all these external things, but they don't tell you that you have to stop coveting your neighbor's goods <laughs> and stop desiring benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other. You have to start loving your neighbor using the word that is commonly translated charity in the Bible. You have to be charitable to your neighbor. So that he does not have to go to men who exercise authority one over the other to get his free bread. Nobody in the true church established by Jesus Christ should find themselves in a position where they have to go to the government of the world that exercise authority in order to get benefits from Social Security to welfare to Medicaid to Medicare to food stamps to what have you. You shouldn't, if you're really in a Christian church, if you're really pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're really gathering together in the name of Christ. You shouldn't have to go to men who exercise authority one over the other in order to obtain your daily bread. You should, you should be able to find that amongst yourselves. Of course, we know that those who don't work shouldn't eat, and so we don't necessarily have to feed you if you want to be lazy, and we just take care of you. You have a home of your own. You have your own abilities and your own capacities and your own family, and so therefore you should take care of one another. But occasionally people need help. And actually those occasions may become more common (laughs) than they used to be. So anyway, I I saw an article a while ago, and I mentioned it before on earlier programs, and I mentioned some of the uh, things that they mentioned in that article. And it was somebody dealing with five reasons people are really leaving the church. The reasons they're leaving the church. Well, I'm going to list off those five real quickly when we come back. And we're going to take a look at, should there be six, seven, eight, or should we can we sum it up into one? Why people are leaving the church? Because first thing you have to know is, what is the church? We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're still talking about the kingdom of God. And I said that I would talk to you about... Uh, at least, I mean, you could probably go through and create ten 
things why people are leaving the church. Well, one of the things in that question, five reasons people are leaving the church, is what is the church? I mean, we have all kinds of people say they're the church, 40,000 different denominations all saying they're the church. And you don't have to really look very hard. And you can find some of these churches doing things that are absolutely diametrically opposed to the basic, simple instructions of Jesus Christ. I mean, it really doesn't take, you know, some uh, really clever person to come up with an argument to say that some churches don't seem to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, and, and the reality is, I mean, there is the church of Satan. It's a church. So when they say leaving the church, what church are we talking about? Or leaving his church. Uh, what is his church? What is the church established by Jesus Christ? So that's something that we really have to examine closely. You know, challenge ourselves. Is our church really a part of the what Jesus was setting up? Or is it just, you know, the closest church to where we live? <laughs> I mean, like, if that is the criteria that you use to pick a church. And then why are we going to church? I mean, there was, we do see the word church in the Bible, and uh, we see a reference to the church in the wilderness, and so who's the church in the wilderness, and then we also see a reference to the church uh, in the New Testament. But the word there is ecclesia, called out. So the church in the wilderness was the called out in the wilderness. Well, we know who the called out in the wilderness was. And that's really easy to define. That was the Levites. They were called out to be the ministers of Israel. And they needed to be called out because the people were backsliding back into Egypt. They were setting up a system that would put them back into Egypt. And they did this by taking all their gold and putting it into a golden calf. If you remember the bondage of Egypt, all the gold was in the hands of the Pharaoh. They had spent all their gold on buying grain from the Pharaoh. He owned all their gold. He owned their land. He owned their um, uh, he owned their livestock, and he even eventually owned at least one fifth of their labor every year. One fifth of their working day every year was given to the Pharaoh. If they made a hundred dollars. 20 of it had to go to the Pharaoh. And that was the bondage of Egypt. The gold belonged to Pharaoh. The silver belonged to Pharaoh. The land belonged to Pharaoh. The livestock belonged to Pharaoh. And their labor, at least 20% of it, one-fifth, belonged to Pharaoh. And that was the bondage of Egypt. Does that sound like anything that goes on today? (laughs) I mean, you have a house. Many of you own a house. If you stop paying the use tax, which we call property tax, in in a few years, it's different in some states. Some states you might have three years. Some states you might only have a year. They're going to start proceedings to take that land away from you. The whole land, just because you didn't pay the property tax. And And in many states, they will sell it and they will keep all the money. You won't get a dime of that money. So you tell me you own that property. You don't own that property. It's just like in Egypt. Do you own your labor? 
If you go out and make a hundred dollars a day, is that labor, everything you produce with that labor, that yours, that belong to you? Or do you have to give some of that to the government? Well, that's the bondage of Egypt. Now, gold and silver, do you own the gold and silver in your pocket? Or do you even have any gold and silver in your pocket? You have somebody else's promise to pay uh, in, in a usury note, a note that is actually is being charged interest as it sits in your pocket, is being charged interest. That's way away from the things that they talked about in the Bible. It's actually contrary to the things they talk in the Bible. Now, I don't believe that all those things are the sin. Those are evidence of a sin. And what is a sin? It's the fallen nature of man. It's evidence of the fallen nature, missing the mark. That's what sin is. So anyway, back to this idea of church. Jesus appointed his ecclesia, called out a group of men, trained them up, and appointed to them a kingdom, and said it wasn't to be like the other kingdoms, other governments of the world. It was to operate differently. And he'd given a lot of instructions as how that would look. And they began to do it. Because anybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ was kicked out of the government of Judea. They couldn't go to the synagogues anymore. They couldn't apply for the free bread anymore. They couldn't get welfare. They wouldn't be taken care of like the blind man. He wasn't going to be taken care of. He was put out. Even if his parents professed Christ, they would have been put out. So therefore, they wouldn't say anything about professing Christ. And so this was a big change at Pentecost. All those people getting baptized... They weren't just getting wet, you know. They were being kicked out of one system and had to start up another system right away to take care of any needy that were amongst them. And if you got baptized, you and your whole household would be saved by this other system. In the real world, in real time. In the kingdom of God. At hand. Now, would that kingdom of God be entirely free from all the threats and oppressions of the world? No, not for a while. It would take a while before that would come about. And a huge progress was made in, in 60, uh, about 66 AD when, the, when Jerusalem fell to the Roman, uh, general Titus. Then, you know, Christians left Jerusalem marched out singing, left behind all their gold, all their silver, all their extra clothes, their property, everything, all the ones that lived in Jerusalem had to leave that behind. They weren't allowed to take it with them. And they came out through the gates singing and were dispersed throughout the world, through the known world. They they had places to go. They had a network. Paul had been setting up this network. Going around, taking care of the needs, you know, going to Syria, going to Ephesus, going to Galatia, going to Corinth, and meeting with the, the different groups there, creating a living network of people who cared as much about their neighbor, whether he's in Ephesus or Corinth or Galatia, cared as much about his neighbor as they did themselves. They had this living network created. So, when they gathered up funds in Galatia, they knew where to take them in Corinth. And when they gathered up funds in Jerusalem, they knew where to take them in Syria. And if they gathered up funds in Ephesus, they knew where to take them in wherever. 
they were needed. And they they had a daily ministration, not only in their local congregation, but in their congregations of congregations of congregations. This was the kingdom of God. Their ministers never forced taxes or offerings on the people. They didn't say, if you don't start tithing, you can't meet with us. But then again, they could say that when they go to redistribute the bread from house to house, they could do so rightly. And they say, well, look, I know you guys have been well off for the last four or five years. And you've never given anything to your minister. You were in this network because they were all commanded to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands by Christ. He commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Or there wasn't going to be any loaves and fishes distributed. And they were going to stay hungry. But because they sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and they organized the same way Jerusalem and Israel had been organized for centuries, as well as many other nations, from the Teutons uh, to whoever, almost you could see this pattern throughout history. They don't teach it much in schools today. They teach you names of kings and presidents today. And you're all under this, you know, homogeneous, supposedly political power. And uh, that's what they teach you today. But that's not the norm for man's history. But anyway, they rightly divided the bread from house to house. And so if they knew that you were a selfish son of a gun who never came together, never formed a congregation, never sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, never contributed to the your minister, so he had never had anything to, from you that he could give to others in their time of need or send to Syria or send to Ephesus or send to Corinth in their time of need. Then when you have your time of need, you should not expect the bread to come back to you. You have not cast your bread upon the waters. You've you've just been taking care of yourself and your own needs and going to the ball game and whatever it is that you think is so important. Don't expect the church or Christ to be there for you because you haven't been there for others. Now, there are those who say, oh, well, I give to charity now and then and, and I help people when I find somebody, an old lady with a flat tire on the side of the road. Well, great. That's good. You should do those things. But that's not what Christ was saying. Christ was saying, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Get yourself organized. You're not just some sort of scattered flock. You come together. And like I pointed out, you know, I'm a sheep herder out here in the desert. And I can go out there and I'm watching the sheep. And I see them gathering in small groups. Sheep don't seem to count to ten very good. But they will gather in groups of about seven. And those seven will feed shoulder to shoulder uh, when they're out there in the desert. Or they'll be pretty dang close to each other. Same same group of seven. Now, it'll vary a little bit, but I often see seven or five sheep gathered together, shoulder to shoulder eating, especially if they, they've been nervous because of predators or something. But those seven are gathered with another seven and another seven and another five and another eight. And and they're all one herd. They're moving together as one body. 
that they, they, if they go to graze in the bottom of the field, they all go to graze in the bottom of the field. They had no leader or ruler that's telling them they have to go there. But they they follow each other. They stick together with each other. And their brain's about as big as a baseball. And they figured out that that's really important. That there is a free assembly in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's why people saw that was valuable in society. Especially societies that look to one another. Now, if you have a society where you have a ruler who just taxes everybody, then you don't have to come together. You can all go to your own houses and watch your own TVs. And, you know, when you have a need, you just go down to an office and you apply and then they send you a check. Yeah, yeah, but you're not really together. If you have an invading army, you're all going to be running around like a bunch of chickens with your heads cut off. Nobody knowing what to do. If you have a real disaster like a major earthquake or a flood or hurricane, you know, some people will come together and help one another, but a lot of you will just be a burden because you won't know how to work together as a people. But the early church knew that they were going to have to do this they could see the handwriting on the wall, and they did do that. And certainly that's what happened in uh, the desert with the church in the wilderness that were called out, the ecclesia, the called out in the wilderness. They were called out to help organize the people in this tens, hundreds, and thousands and to create a network of charity based on free will offerings to bind the people together without putting them under a contract or covenant or constitution under men, under kings. Of course, they eventually rejected God and decided they wanted to have a king. They didn't want God ruling over them in their hearts and their minds. So that's what the church was, was a system of charity. Men who were called out, but under certain restrictions by God, just like the Levites, just like the early church disciples, were put under these restrictions for the purposes of being the benefactors who do not exercise authority, but exercise faith, hope, and charity. So that's what the church was. That's not what you got going as a church. Because most of you, when you have a need, you go to the men who exercise authority. If you want Social Security or welfare or unemployment or or you're short of food and you need food stamps, whatever, you go to men who exercise authority one over the other and that's where you go. You don't go to church anymore. 150 years ago, if you had those needs, you would go to church. That's where you went. This is a recent aberration where you don't go to church anymore, but you go to the government. So, leaving the church? Why are you leaving the church? Because, I mean, what good is it? It's just a social club that makes you feel good. But here's their reasons. And we'll run to their reasons pretty quick here. And then you can you can figure for yourself or think for yourself as to what all this means. But uh, first one is we tell people that the Bible is the basis of Christianity. Well, the basis of Christianity is Christ. The Bible is evidence of Christ, talks about Christ, gives us some ideas uh, from men who had a personal revelation of Christ. And so the Bible is very valuable, but the basis of Christianity is Christ in you. It's it's the anointing of the Spirit of Jesus Christ 
in you. If you're coming in the name of Christ, you're going to church not for the music, not for the air conditioning, not for the sermon. You're going to church to serve because Christ is one who came to serve. And if you're going to church for any other reason than to serve others, then you're not coming in the name of Christ. You're not coming in the character of Christ. So, you don't know that Christ loves you just because the Bible tells you so. Because you don't know if you're the ones that he loves. Because he talks about those he hates. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, obviously, when God wants you to repent, he's willing to suffer and uh, sacrifice his only begotten son so that you might be saved. But because you say you're the we of Bible or the we of Paul, don't make it so. It's what you do that tells us whether or not you're the we of the early church. Okay, the second thing was they believe suffering disproves the existence of God. There's a huge intellectual movement now to to make everybody that is coming out of college an atheist who doesn't believe in God. And I always think this is kind of funny because early Christians were often prosecuted by the state for being atheists. That's right. That was the accusation. If you actually looked at the court documents, their accusation against Christians is that Christians were atheists. And I'll explain that maybe later in the next half of the program. But uh, the existence of God is self-evident to me. But to other people, they look at science and all this stuff, and they say, oh, well, we don't even need God anymore. All the Everything just fits together. There's natural selection. There's evolution. It's all chemistry and electrical impulses. And, and they go so far as to even say you have no free will choice. I do agree that you don't have as much free will choice as you think you do. <laughs> That many of your decisions are a product or byproduct of an earlier choice. You know, once you go down this road, I mean, it's kind of like a toboggan. You start heading down the mountain in the toboggan run. Your choices are now very limited. Basically, you're headed down. That's the way you're going. You're going to follow that path. And you don't really have a lot of other choices because you've already started down that path. But uh, to start down that path, that's a choice. And so you can start down the path of the tree of life or that you can start down the path of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, And then after that, everything is pretty much predestined unless you repent and change your choice. <laughs> so anyway, the existence of God has nothing to do with the fact of suffering. God didn't say there wasn't going to be suffering. As a matter of fact, he told you That if you make the wrong choice in relationship to the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, whatever that means, we'll discuss that in another place. You make this choice that suffering will come if you choose to go this way. He warns you because suffering is what occurs in the absence of God. And God's not going to guide you in the wrong direction. He's only going to guide you in the right direction. So if you choose the wrong direction... You're going to create suffering. And that's where all the suffering comes from. He didn't create the suffering. 
He made you in the image of God and you have the power to create suffering or not by what you choose. And unfortunately, a great many people in the world have chosen to go the wrong way and they create a great deal of suffering. But when you choose to go the right way, that suffering can eventually be alleviated. But anyway, so yeah, they the reason they're leaving God is because, I mean, leaving the church is because there is no God in the church except for the God of vanity. Because they're not taking care of one another. They have thwarted the purpose of the church. They're not practicing pure religion, which is another topic we can look at. That religion five times in the Bible, four times bad religion, one time good religion. That's pretty much sums up the church because most of the time the church is practicing bad religion and not practicing pure religion. And we have articles on that so you can find out what that is. But the third thing they had... Uh, a bad church experience. That's why people leave church. Well, that's reasonable, but it's not his church where they had the bad experience. It's it's the churches of the world. Now, we, we refer to ourselves as his church because that's what we're striving for. We're seeking, we're persevering towards becoming his church. We're not a corporate unit called his church that we created ourselves. We're, we're in that process of repentance. And people have had bad experiences here, but, but they're not having it with Christ, except those who reject Christ. But they're having bad experiences because of what they, they won't set down their baggage. They won't set down their own burdens. Uh, and really it's not hard to go the way of Christ if you really love the way of Christ. It's your opposition to the way of Christ, which includes forgiveness. It's really easy to come together with all kinds of people at all kinds of levels and and states of uh, spiritual maturity if you come with forgiveness in your heart and your mind. It's really easy. It's not hard. You can go to a church with a bunch of jerks in it, but if you're walking in forgiveness, it's not a pain to you you may be a pain to them, but it's not a pain to you because you've forgiven them. It's only when you don't forgive that you get all worked up and upset and you get huffy and puffy. That's You're creating that pain because you're not walking in forgiveness. If you let it go and leave judgment to God, you don't have nearly as much conflict with other people. They may still not like you, but you know they'll actually lose their power over you. They... They'll leave. If you gather together with other people and you leave, (laughs) if I come in a room full of demons, I want the demons to leave. I don't want to go. I'm not relinquishing the territories of God that he has created to demons. Let them leave. And if they're not leaving, then maybe you need to turn up the light in your own heart and take a look at yourself. Why why do demons have a power over you? You need a little bit more fasting and prayer. So, yeah, bad church experience, but it wasn't the real church. We have to, because people don't know, which is why it took so much time to talk about what the real church is. So, the fourth thing he's got listed is we're bad at making 
people feel welcome. Well, now that's open to all kinds of interpretation. Jesus did not come to make you feel welcome. I mean, he came and he sat down with all kinds of people and talked to them and everything. But he said that you're not going to feel welcome by them. You need to welcome those who are repentant, who want to walk in forgiveness, who want to live by charity, not by force, not by greed, not by avarice, who are diligent people, who strive and persevere. That's who you want to come together with. But you also have to be non-judgmental. You have to realize that nobody's perfect. So you have to learn how to come together in a with a variety of people. And the last thing is we made Ecclesia, the church, a building, which is what I talked about to begin with. The Ecclesia is the called out. Well, we'll talk more about what the called out are supposed to be doing in order to, to establish the free assemblies of God, which is the kingdom of God, when we come back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, the church established by Jesus Christ was given uh, many different jobs to do, and they proceeded to do it. And in order to do it, the people had to gather together in the tens, hundreds, uh, and thousands, and... Uh, they were able to create a network to reach all across the Roman Empire and beyond, way out into Ireland. I mean, we had people from Ireland, from Great Britain, in the early church, being bishops in Rome. Linus was from Great Britain. Claudia was from Great Britain. And uh, and they were in Rome. Uh, they were actually related to Paul, the apostle. Uh, by marriage, and, and I guess by blood, uh, to some degree, because of the fact that uh, he had a half-brother who was a Roman, um, that uh, because his father had died when he was very young, and his mother remarried and had a couple more children. And, uh, and then they married into British society and became prisoners in Rome, which is where Paul was a prisoner in Rome. <laughs> and so, I mean, there's a whole history that is reasonably verifiable through historical documents and references that makes a lot of sense and explains a lot about uh, what Paul was doing and who some of these people were doing. I mean, we have monuments dating way back, uh, you know, carved out, talking about my uncle, uh, you know, referring to Paul as their uncle, and they were famous personages of the early church. And we're talking early church long before Constantine, because Constantine was actually separating, uh, or actually creating a new church, the Constantinian church, they call it. And the Constantinian church is well recognized in law, and but the reality is that um the true church is also recognized in many court cases. But it is separate from the world. It is not a part of the world. But most of everybody out here today, they are a part of the world. The assemblies may be free man or slave. 
They may be of the world or not of the world. They should be in a process of seeking the kingdom of God, setting up the kingdom of God, uh, and acting according to the precepts of the kingdom of God, and taking care of one another as Christ intended. That's what the free assemblies should be doing. And those free assemblies gather together in what is commonly would be called the church in general. But the church specific is the called out, the called out ministers, called out to rightly divide the bread from house to house. And what bread do they divide from house to house? That's the free will offerings of the people. And they divide it and distribute it according to the needs, which we see all throughout the first, you know, the New Testament in the epistles. That's what they're doing. They're taking up a collection and going here. They're taking up a collection in Galatia and Paul's saying, you know, when I get there to Corinth, I want it already taken up so that I can take it on to the next place. And why is he the guy that's doing this and Barnabas the guy that's doing this? Is because of the fact that they had a way of traveling around. And, do, and they were good at that operation of distributing um, what is needed over a vast area. Obviously, in your local congregations, you could be taking care of one another. And we've, we've seen, we've, we've just scratched the surface in how this should be done today. We have the free church report. We've been going through that on our Tuesday study calls, which we have put off for a little while, but we'll be starting them up again. But I want to see more people gathering in these free assemblies. They're free assemblies. You're not corporate groups. But you, you, you have to pick your minister. He can't, I'm not going to appoint a minister for everybody in Texas or everybody in Florida or everybody in, in, uh, Michigan or, or Maine or whatever. You have to pick a minister. And you say, well, we don't have 10 people in Maine or 10 people in Nevada. Well, that's why you have the email groups is that you start finding people as close to you as possible. And then you gather with them. And then, oh, I don't want to gather with him because he thinks this. And I don't want to gather with him because he thinks that. Well, you mean you only want to gather with people who think exactly like you. <laughs> that's silly. Christ was gathering with publicans and prostitutes. And, I mean, I'm sure he was gathering with fishermen, too, and carpenters, and and stonemasons, and uh, donkey herdsmen, and all kinds of people. They mentioned people like prostitutes and publicans because of the fact that that's kind of a surprise that he would gather with them. But he's preaching the kingdom. He's trying to get people to move in the direction of the kingdom. And that kingdom was a place where people cast their bread upon the waters, cast them upon a huge network of people from all walks of life, all kinds of different customs, all kinds of different... You know, Claudia, they, they wrote poems about Claudia, Juvenal, who was a poet at that time, just fell in love with Claudia, whose real name wasn't Claudia, but Gladys. She was given the name Claudia by the emperor, Claudius, who was so impressed with her. Well, so why was he so impressed with her? Well, she was this Nordic, Celtic woman, evidently blonde, fairly tall compared to Romans. Romans were rather short, five foot four, 
it was your average Roman height, and she was possibly, I mean, she could have easily been uh, five foot nine, which would tower over the average Roman. But you know, so, some of the genetics back then would put her maybe even as high as six foot tall <laughs> as a woman. She was rather stately, blonde, very young when she married. And not very old when she was there, although she had two daughters that were raised up there and also were, you know, adult daughters that uh, helped bury a lot of the people after the Nero uh, persecution uh, that took place. And that was, you know, they gathered up the bodies and buried them, washed the bodies and buried them according to traditions. And they still have that grave marked in Rome. Uh, where this all took place. And they themselves were persecuted because of this and because of their particular stance along with their uncle Paul uh, because Claudia had married... Uh, actually, I think she married the half, if I remember it right, the, the uh, son of the half-brother of Paul. But uh, anyway, the uh, the reality is, is that... Uh, uh, all these these mix of people. Uh, she supposedly painted her skin blue uh, with designs on her skin, according to some of the poets of the of the time. And uh, so that was a custom that you would not find in Jerusalem. <laughs> they would not do that. Uh, but those are those are customs that they did in. You know, from the different cultures that they came from. But the key element was not the, you know, and, and, and Paul even warns against it, trimming the corners of your beard, because people did that to identify with a group. Braiding your hair a particular way, because people would do that to identify with a particular group. You would, girls from one group would braid their hair a certain way, and girls from another group would braid their hair another way. Even in Egypt, uh, men would braid their beards in a certain way to denote their status and uh, or the group that they came from. Tattoos were used the same way to identify your group. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. We don't want you identifying with some group. We don't want you to think of yourself as Greek or Roman or this group or that group or this gang or that gang. We wanted you to identify with Christ. We wanted you to put on the character of Christ and the personality of Christ. And so all these other divisions were to not get in the way of following the way of Christ. Yet, there were lots of different congregational groups. But they were out of many one. And this made them stronger and stronger, which is why the emperors feared the Christians. Because they were so well organized. And and Gibbons writes about this in The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. That they feared the union and discipline of the Christian community. Because uh, you, the Christians could be kicked out of Rome. 14,000 Christian families, uh, Jewish Christian families were kicked out of Rome. Now, many of the Romans, they didn't have to leave, but the Jewish Christian families, they weren't called Christians yet, they were just called Jews, were kicked out of Rome because they would not participate in the Roman temples. 
and that Roman temples were government buildings. That's where you went to get your free bread. To the temple. They had a little building on the side where you would go and you would uh, collect your free bread. You'd show your little tessera a coin, a little clay coin, tessera, and then you could get your free bread for the week. And this is how they distributed their, that was their food stamps, that was their welfare. It was free bread, sometimes free wine, sometimes free cheese, whatever it was that they had a surplus of. Sometimes it was money. They would give out money. And that would really stimulate the economy. You think about that. You would give give a coin to everybody in Rome, then there's going to be more spending going on. It was good for business. And people loved that. But this was welfare through the government, through men who exercised authority. And Christians wouldn't be a part of that. So they would not sign up at those temples. And they they would they were doing something completely different. And we have, like I say, Justin's apology that says what they were doing. They would gather every week and those that had shared with those that didn't have enough. And if there were people they knew about in Syria or some other place that were not having enough or having an extra hard time of it, they would gather up a big collection and send it with men like Barnabas and Paul. So if you're not doing that, if you're not gathering in some system like that, then you're really not like the early church. You say, oh, well, I don't have to do that. we just have to be nice to people. No, that's not true. And if you just look out in the world today, that's not going to cut it. If things get bad, that's not going to cut it. You have to be a body. Okay, I have a body. I have a body. I'm, I'm uh, you know, uh, I'm... Well past, uh, I'm my, uh, what, are the, what, what is it, three score and ten. <laughs> I'm way past my three score and ten. Uh, and, uh, or at least I passed it anyway. I don't know about way past it. And, uh, I'm not doing too bad. Uh, I still work a full day uh, on a regular basis. But, uh, there's a lot of people out there that are not doing so good at that age. <laughs> I guess I'm about the same age as Bill Clinton, too. But uh, uh, the fact is, is uh, even your Hollywood stars uh, that are all into this age, they they spend a lot of money trying to make themselves look good. I don't spend anything <laughs> myself look good. Uh, but uh, I can get out there and do a pretty full day's work still. But that's because, to some degree, uh, I've been taking care of my body. Okay, well, we're supposed to be a body as the church. And we're supposed to be taking care of that body. We need to exercise that body. And I talked to uh, somebody recently that if you pick a minister and you want to give to the activities of the whole church, you should give to that minister. And then that minister will distribute, rightly divide the bread of your gift from house to house or wherever he thinks it needs to go. And and you need to watch and see how he does that and see, do I really want to keep him as my minister? Is he doing a good job? You're responsible for your gift, but when you give it, you freely give it, you give it up entirely, and then that somebody else, what you're doing is giving the responsibility for somebody else to give whatever little portion. You can still give other ways to other people, to the guy next door or the guy across the street or or wherever you want to give. You can send it to the United Way. I don't care. 
but you should be giving through the body, that network, that assembly of God. And to start to kind of clean out the arteries, the the veins, the circulatory system of the body of Christ, which was those tens, hundreds, and thousands. If there were 5,000 people at the loaves and fishes, they were going to have to, 12 apostles, theoretically only 12 apostles, there actually were a lot more uh, people already in their network. They already had picked a 70, uh, which was their Sanhedrin. Uh, so they had a lot more people, and they, but he's now saying that they need to organize the people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And this is the way that the, the apostles were going to be able to distribute the bread that came to them from family to family to individual to individual so that everybody would have enough to eat and actually have some left over. And they were able to do that because the people sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So therefore you could feed 5,000 people just right away in a very short period of time, take care of all their needs and actually have stuff left over with no waste. Now, you know the way the government does it. They take from 5,000 people, they give to a bunch of bureaucrats that the people didn't even pick in, in many cases that were appointed by somebody else that the people picked collectively with very little control. I mean, what I just heard, we have another election coming up here in the United States, um, and somebody was just arrested for, uh, you know, uh, registering, like, I don't know, dozens of times. I guess there were 70 uh, people registered at one address that did not even exist, and... Uh, they were all Democrats. <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, I mean, so how do you know who's getting elected? How do you know there isn't voter fraud? And how do you know that the people that you never even met most of the candidates you'll, you'll vote for, you don't know them, you don't really know their family, you know the image that is presented about them. Somebody's talking about voting for leaders is a bad thing on fa- Facebook. It's not voting for leaders. It's voting for rulers that is a bad thing. <laughs> you know, you can vote for a leader. You say, you know, like, I want you to be the leader right now. You get in the front, you know, and because you seem to know your way, you know, maybe you can spot the rattlesnakes or the crocodiles or whatever it is. Or maybe you're good with the machete hacking the weeds out of the way. So you're going to be the leader. We, we're going to follow you as a leader because you can't all be out front. But then, you know, he gets tired. Somebody else can become a leader. If he starts leading you the wrong way, you can say, oh, well, we don't want to follow you anymore. We can follow some Because they're not rulers. They're just the guys out front. They're kind of leading the way. They're kind of organizing the team. You know, but everybody's playing individually. And this is what the body of Christ is, is that you pick, you pick your minister He's not supposed to be up there telling you what the Holy Spirit is telling him so that you know what to do. You're supposed to figure that out on your own. But still, the idea of having certain people that are are put into positions of responsibility to bring everybody together. See, the kingdom of God is bound by a love of the way of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit of Christ comes into them and they take care of one another. If 
if you're not doing that, then you may be missing out on what the kingdom really is all about. You may not really be following in the ways of the kingdom. So, in the ways of Christ. You're not really following Christ. I mean, because he's the one who said, he commanded them to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands. So, that's what you should be doing. Is sitting down in that pattern, taking care of one another. And that's the church's job to help take care of you and facilitate that. So, you get to pick who you think is the best guy to make that happen amongst the people that are already voluntarily coming together to take care of one another. And then we'll link those people together. Those ministers should link themselves together by showing up on the minister's call, uh, by communicating with one another, uh, telling what's going on in their life, in their community, in their congregation, and sharing ideas about how to do this job better. I don't know all the ways to do it better. And those ways may vary under a variety of circumstances. But that's what the early church was doing. And they were doing this so that when 14,000 Jews were kicked out of Rome, they had a place to go. When Jerusalem was overthrown by the armies of Titus and Christians marched out, days before the actual siege, full siege took place, because Titus pulled back his soldiers, according to Josephus, for a period of time, and even commanded his soldiers, anybody who wants to leave the city, you know, we inspect them as they go, but they are to be allowed to leave unmolested. And the Christians came out by the thousands. and But they had a place to go. Uh, you know, I mean, that's a big deal now. I guess I just heard in the news is a bunch of Hondurans marching up from Honduras, uh, trying to get into the United States. They're coming up through Mexico and they're going to try to come into the United States and come in here. And they're, they're actually walking with a Honduran flag, which I guess is okay while you're going through Mexico, but they, if they're coming to America, if they're, they're still carrying the Honduran flag, that looks like an invasion, <laughs> not an immigration. Because you come into the other country, you need to do as the other country does. But that doesn't mean you do away with your own culture and your own values and your own principles. But the principles of America are pretty good. The culture of America is pretty good. The United States are, are heavy uh, dependence upon the United States government and its social welfare programs, that's pretty bad. Uh, but we don't have to be dependent upon those programs if you come here to America. You can do, you can come to America and do exactly what Christ said to do. And your ministers can be separate. And you can create a body of people uh, that come together in free assemblies that don't depend upon the federal government or state government benefits. Those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You're still free to create such a system, such a body of people, bound not by contracts, covenants, and constitutions, but bound by righteousness, bound by love, bound by a common faith in that love of Christ. You can do that in America now. 
Unfortunately, most of the churches that people are leaving, they're leaving because they're not doing that. They may have other reasons. They don't like the music, <laughs> maybe, or what have you. I had somebody call me up this week and and ask me if I w- if we are anarchists. He saw a post on on Facebook. Uh, uh, evidently, we found out that the per- poster who posted it was from Florida. Uh, or somewhere down there in that area. I don't know. They're not in a congregation yet as far as I know. But uh, uh, he saw that post and, and there were several posts back and forth. Somebody led me to that post and so I went and looked at it. But I had talked to him on the phone and the first thing he asked was if we were anarchists. And I, I chuckled when he asked that. I says, well, if I were to say yes, I would be misleading you. <laughs> because... Most people don't know what the word anarchist means. Anarchist means without rulers. It doesn't mean without leaders. It doesn't mean chaos. It certainly doesn't mean what we see posing, what is Antifa, anti-fascist. A lot of people say they're anarchists. Well, if you're going around hitting people with sticks and throwing rocks at people and spitting on people and, and trying to tear down the government, you're not an anarchist. <laughs> You're you're an archist because you're trying to rule over other people's choices. I think you have every right to elect a ruler if you want a ruler. I don't think it's a good idea, but I think that you have the right to follow ideas that aren't really a good idea. And uh, and you may find out that when you do that, that that ruler you elected takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes. And takes. And when you cry out, God's not going to hear you. And of course, we know that because it's already written in the biblical text. And anybody who studied history knows that that's always what happens. Solomon, uh, Saul, um, Rehoboam, they all did that kind of stuff. And so, why would you expect it to be any different with you? So, But you have the right to do that. But you in America, you have the right to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the kingdom of God is a system that voluntarily comes together, organizes itself from the bottom up, not from the top down, takes care of one another in service to one another through a network that is a body of love. Now, for that body to stay fit, it needs to practice that love. I don't care if you give 10% every month or 1% every month or one-tenth of 1% every month. But you should start reaming out the veins of that body because, you know, if I want blood in my left hand, it's going to come down my left arm. I don't let it come down my right arm and then transfusion it over to my left arm. It comes down my right arm. I suppose there could be a situation where, you know, I break all the veins in my arm and that's the only way I can keep the arm alive until the veins are re, uh, fixed up. But the reality is, is that's not the way the body was designed to operate. And it's not the way that the body of God operates. The way the body of God operates is 10 people gather together in free assemblies, unincorporated assemblies, uh, that are bound by love, not only for each other, but for the next congregation. And they give to a minister that they think is the most charitable individual, the most industrious individual, the most uh, 
honorable or reliable individual in their group, not necessarily the guy with the theological degree, but the guy with the degree of common sense and wisdom and and character of Christ, and then you give to him. And then he does the same thing. He picks another minister that he trusts. And if you get ten men who pick that minister, that's a congregation of ministers. And they take care of business of the kingdom. They are the benefactors who don't exercise authority. They exercise authority over what you give them, but they don't exercise authority over you. Now, that's that's a different form of government. You can seek that one or keep looking to the one you got now and see how that works out. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, it should become evident to a lot of people that there is a considerable difference between the church today and the church yesterday. They, they're they just not the same creatures. The, the church back in, well, just like I say, 200 years ago, was actually many of the churches, not all of them, many of the churches were practicing one form of pure religion or another. And pure religion was the... Uh, taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. Religion back 200 years ago was defined as the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. It was a duty. It wasn't what you think. You couldn't save yourself by what you think or what you say you think. You you could be saved if you repented and thought a different way, and that way would be to take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. Because that's what Christ was teaching us how to do. Instead of coveting our neighbor's goods, we would be actually sharing our goods with our neighbors. Well, how do you do that? You know, what was it? There was just a GoFundMe for for the lady who was testifying against uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And there was like three GoFundMe's, I think. I don't remember all the details. I didn't follow it that close. But supposedly she received over $900,000 in donations. And that, that, that may be an old figure. She may have eventually got over a million dollars in donations. That's, that's quite a profit. <laughs> that's a lot of funds. But she may spend it on lawyer fees because I hear that the lawyers are being sued for malpractice. So, uh, anyway, not by her, but by other people. Uh, but, uh, anyway, that's another whole commotion. But how do you know? I've heard horror stories of how people are actually poisoning one of their children and then telling everybody how sick their child is so that people will donate money and then they're living on that donated money while they're poisoning their child. That that has happened more than once. That you know you hate to tell too many people about that because it gives people ideas. But uh, there's a lot of money to be had uh, in playing on the heartstrings of individuals uh, in the world to start some GoFundMe to get all kinds of money that you don't deserve and probably will do you harm. Uh, there was somebody who was. Uh, who loaned 10 bucks, a homeless person loaned 10 bucks or 20 bucks or something like that to somebody who needed to buy gas and didn't have any way of buying gas late at night. And 
and uh, they started to go fund me and the guy ended up with tens of thousands of dollars enough to buy a home I guess eventually uh, coming into his GoFundMe and then they were trying to give him the money he had no way of collecting the money they started it so they were going to pass the money on to him and the first thing he did is go out and party and have drugs and all kinds of things and they so they were afraid to give him all the money because they were afraid that he would go out and kill himself with the drugs and they wanted him to take that money and you know like buy a home and and you know, get started again, and and he just wanted to have a party, evidently, and so he ends up suing them. <laughs> so uh, they really bit off more than they could chew. The reality is, is that you need to take charge of your charity with other people, but you also need to become together as if you were the corporate body of Christ. It's not a corporation of the state. This is a corporation of Christ. This is why the... And in the Free Church Report, we explain how this works, is that the ministers, if they are going to not be of the world, that constitutional order and system of government, they have to take certain uh, positions in society that separate them out. And Jesus was telling us what that looks like. And we show you in the Free Church Report and also coupled with the book Thy Kingdom Come, all of which are free online if you want to read. Because in between the lines and in some of the footnotes and in the text, you'll find some of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But the real mysteries of the kingdom of God are spiritual mysteries that come about when you follow certain patterns. And now, it isn't that you do this like a witch's brew where you conjure up the Holy Spirit by following these patterns. But if you refuse to follow these patterns, the Holy Spirit may not come. So you follow these patterns and, and hope that you purify your own heart by objectively following them, objectively looking at what you're doing. Are you really seeking this for the purposes of being service like Christ? Because then the Holy Spirit can enter into you and strengthen you, guide you. And that's an individual deal. I was just telling the guy again the other day that this is a journey where we learn to walk alone together. Now, when I say walk alone, I don't want you completely alone. I want you walking with the Holy Spirit. Some of the evidence that you're walking with the Holy Spirit is that you're walking in forgiveness. You can join almost any congregate. You can go pick any church you want. Geographically closest to you, you can go in there to be in that church. But you start manifesting the spirit of the Holy of Christ, and if that spirit is will, if there's another spirit in that church, they will reject you. They will send you away, and sometimes that's rather quick. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. But the more you turn up the light the more the cockroaches want to leave. <laughs> so, I mean, I could imagine you actually gathering together in a church and everybody leaves until you're the only ones in the church. <laughs> and, you know, if you gather with several other people, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there also I am. So you don't need ten to start this. You just need two people who are gathering in the name of Christ. But you're trying to, you're seeking the kingdom of God. You're not seeking the isolation of 
some ascetic individual out in the desert. You're trying to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all that you do. Every morning now I've been waking up and adding on average at least another paragraph to another book I'm writing. And uh, and then also I figured out a way of when i out in the desert and I have another idea, I, I type it in and then I text it to my uh, or email it to myself and then put it into the book and then go over it again, sometimes rewriting the same uh, paragraph many times uh, and starting to see. But I, I felt a flow in the last uh, weeks of trying to put this down. And I hope and I pray that the flow will continue to go. I have a lot of things that I, on my plate right now that I'm trying to get done. But um, I feel an urgency in moving forward and getting this book done because each of the books that we've written, Covenants of the Gods, that was one approach. That's a different kind of book than any of the others that I've written. Thy Kingdom Come is setting the scene. The Free Church Report is explaining the game plan of Christ as you would interpret it today in the world. And that game plan of Christ included a corporate church of Christ. I mean, it's the body corpus of Christ. It's the called out corpus of Christ. And then other people become a part of that spiritual corpus by following the ways of Christ. And that way of Christ included gathering together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands uh, bound together by nothing but faith, hope, and charity, and doing so in hopes of being of service one to another. You have to sacrifice so that others will be saved. That is the character of Christ. He came to serve. He came to sacrifice. He came to sacrifice that others might be saved. That needs to be your motivation as well. Your motivation is not to find a comfortable church with the right music and the right pew and the right this and the right that. It's your your purpose must be the purposes of Christ, which is to sacrifice to save others, to lay down your life for others. And that's that's the process of repentance. And if you're not, if you don't want to do that, if you just want to think a thought and imagine that you're saved, you are strongly deluded. And it is a strong delusion. And it will get you into a lot, a lot of trouble and down, down a slippery slope to disaster. So you want, want to switch and, and change the way you've been going and go a better way, another way, the way of righteousness. And uh, do so uh, consistently, faithfully. And one of the ways to do that consistently and faithfully is to do it um, religiously. I've heard, and I'll be talking more and more about this and writing more and more about it, where there are certain people that are just against religion. And actually, as religion is defined today, I'm against religion too. <laughs> I'm anti-religious, as religion is commonly defined today. Although the way it's defined today is not entirely incorrect in itself, it's just not the correct definition 
of religion. You know, they say religion is what you think about God. Well, what you think about God is very important. But that's not religion. That's an aspect of religion. Because what you think about God is going to determine what you think your pious duty to God is. But religion is still not your pious duty to God. That would be an incomplete definition of religion. Your Religion is your pious duty to God and your fellow man. Because it's very clear, Moses, Abraham, Jesus Christ, all said you were to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Abraham didn't actually say it in so many words, but we clearly see him, you know, risking his life, risking everything to go out of his way to save people from bondage. He took a chance and to save people from being carried off into bondage. And then when he saved them, he would not even put them back into bondage. They were free. All the people of Sodom were free. They did not have to go back to the king of Sodom and start paying their taxes with the king of, king of Sodom. They didn't have to go back and do that. They now belonged to Abraham. And Abraham wouldn't, wouldn't possess them. He wanted to set them free. They, but in, when setting them free, they could go back to Sodom and Gomorrah and wherever they came from because he set other people free it wasn't just the people from Sodom because that that army had gone around and captured numerous city-states so he he was just setting them all free and i'm sure some of them stayed with Abraham and set up altars like Abraham set up to take care of the needy of their society in the practice of pure religion through faith hope and charity but some would go back to the city-states, which take care of their obligation to their fellow man through forced offerings. See, because the, the king of Sodom was the benefactor who exercised authority, one over the other. But Abraham would not exercise authority one over the other. He only allowed for free will offerings. There's your distinction. You see it in Abraham. You see it with uh, Moses, you see it with the early church. What you don't see it with is the modern church. Because they take care of most of the needy in their society, in their congregations, in their churches through men who exercise authority. One over the other. That is that is anti-Christ. So most churches have as a regular practice practices that would be considered anti-Christ. They claim Christ. They say with their lips, Lord, Lord. But with their actions, they actually pray to men who exercise authority, one over the other, to take away from their neighbor, to provide for their common welfare. And people see no other alternative, but that's what we're talking about. That's the true church. So, you, it isn't that people are leaving the church today. It's that the church has left Christ. They abandoned the ways of Christ. They abandoned the way. And they've gone another way that is contrary to the ways of Christ. They're practicing a Corbin, a sacrifice, because they still sacrifice. 
you all still sacrifice, and it's a blood sacrifice in many other cases. Because it's your sweat and blood that is sacrificed. But those sacrifices are sacrifices of force where the government may take and take and take and take and take and take. And I, I think that the government should take and take and take and take and take so that you will cry out. And what we're trying to say that if you repent and turn around and start gathering together as Christ commanded in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And there's, there's a huge learning curve in this. That God will bless you. And, and God will open your eyes so that you will know who to pick as a minister. And men will step forward to be those ministers. But you don't get to let them step forward and then you just turn everything over to them. You have to take back your responsibilities. It's just a very responsible thing to pick your minister. People will say, well, you know, where are all your good ministers? You tell me. This is not top down. This is bottom up. You have to find them. Now, how can you find men amongst you that you trust if you don't, if there is no amongst you? If you don't gather together. If you don't interact with one another. Talk to one another. Share with one another. Visit one another. So this is what repentance. You have to think a different way. This is your responsibility to be the government of God. To be the kingdom of God. To seek to be the kingdom of God. That's your responsibility. Now, the pious performance of that responsibility. What does pious mean? That actually comes from a word that has to do with the, your, your responsibility to your father. Your duty to your father. That's what pious had to do with. It had to do with the patrimonial responsibility to your father. You have a patrimonial responsibility to serve your father. Because he gave you life. Well, in this case, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As opposed to our Father who art in Washington or Sydney, Australia or, or London or Paris or wherever you're, the fathers of these different countries are. That's, stop looking to that Father for your free bread. And start looking to the Father in heaven. How do you do that? You do that by caring about one another. I mean, right now, God's not even going to hear many of you. Because you haven't repented enough. You haven't turned around enough to go the other way. And you have to go the other way in order to find the other kingdom. That's that's the way it works. I, I, I'm not changing that. I don't want to change that. I couldn't change that if I wanted <laughs> You have to actually repent. And so anyway, the you know, I, I'm not sure what will end up being the first words of the, the book, uh, which is the Altars of Blood. Uh, and Actually, Altars of Blood and Stone may be the full title. No generation is solely a product of their own efforts. We build each society upon the generation from which we sprang. And the forgotten sacrifices of our collective ancestors. So, you know, there's actually cultures that have something called ancestral worship. They worship their ancestors. 
And it's because they know they didn't create themselves. They they know that, you know, children are born from the wombs of married women and they've made the association. They know how the babies get in there. They may not know all the biology of it, but they basically understand the process of how that works. And they may describe it in a variety of different ways and it may not involve epigenetics and and uh, double helixes and all these other terminology. But they know that when men and women come together, children are the result. And that's the next generation. And they know that's the generation, that's the way they came from a generation. And this has gone on for generation after generation after generation. So they know that they were created by the generations that went before. And almost all these countries and cultures have stories of a divine designer of the universe who facilitated the creation of the first man, who breathed life into the first man, who breathed an identity of life into the first man. You know, I mean, these are, these are metaphors. Exactly how that all took place, I can't really tell you, but they're trying to tell you that there is a divine intelligence responsible for your existence. And evidently, he gave each of you a choice. He also gave each of you a mission to dress it and keep it. But also a choice to eat of the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it appears that we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we fell from a state of grace, a state of nature. And we, we've, we've become inherently selfish because it was selfishness that made that choice to begin with. And now we need to repent of that selfishness and become unselfish. Seek to become unselfish. Ask God, how do I become unselfish? What is really unselfish? Do I just give everything away, throw money out the window? Or do I do it as God does blessing where there is needed? If I if I just turn water onto the desert, I will end up with a swamp. I have to spread that water around and share it here and there and there and here and over here and move it around so that everything is not a swamp. That is a meadow. And then, then the wildlife comes in and, and the deer graze and the sheep find green pastures. And that way, life is brought where there was only desert before. And that's that's what we should be doing with everybody around about us. We should be bringing life where there was no life before. We should be watering up the souls of our neighbors with trickle-down <laughs> love. You know, trickling down from you to the person next to you. And, you know, you, you, when you form that congregation, I don't care what you give, a penny or a million dollars, whatever you, whatever is put on your heart, but open up that, create that circulatory system. You know, if you cut your, your, uh, you know, your veins in your arm, you know, the muscles in your arm, immediately the body will start forming new, uh, capillaries to feed that tissue and try to reunite and refuse those veins so that that the, 
arm will stay alive. And by nature, that's what will take place if you're seeking to be the body of Christ. The body of this God who sacrificed himself that you might be saved. You must sacrifice yourself so that others may be saved so that his spirit will live and dwell in you. That's what repentance is. It's thinking that other way. The world wants you to think, if I want to save myself, I must save myself. I am saying, in order to save yourself, you must sacrifice yourself. Because that would be following Christ. And following the messages and ways of Christ. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Is following that way of Christ. So everybody should gather to join in the network. Go to preparingyou.com. Go to hisholychurch.org. Click on the network links. Find the geographical area that you're in and join the email group that is connected with that that area. And then start talking. If you're already on that network, start talking with others saying, are you near this? Here, you know, name the town. You don't have to give them your street address or your phone number. But are you near this? Are you near that? And who's near what? And everybody share that information Enough so that we know, well, actually we have five people over here that are in an area. Why aren't you gathering together? Why aren't you trying to get to know one another? Enough so that you can pick somebody to be a minister, to to become a part of that network. People are shocked when I say, I don't want you all sending me money. Uh, I thank everybody for the support of this, particular, because this does take a lot of time. But I want you to take care of one another. That's what I want you to do. God will take care of me if you take care of one another. And that is a changing of the mind. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.